Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of You Smell What the Arch is Cooking. I am your host, Archie Mitchell, and we are back for another jam-packed week of wrestling action. Now, this week, we are going to be talking about not just our normal quick hits highlight reel, which will involve Raw, Smash, and AEW Rampage, and we will just have show reviews for NXT and AEW Dynamite. No, 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 we are adding another show, ladies and and that is MLW debuted on the Reels channel and I have to say I have always been a fan of MLW but it was a little hard to always catch them over on YouTube so I would kind of like wait till three or four episodes would get in because it was only an hour long show and then I'd binge watch four hours straight of MLW and it was a little hard to incorporate it into this show but now that they are on reels and I can DVR them the same night as I do NXT, I can watch NXT, MLW, and then AEW all on Thursday nights like I normally do and then get ready for SmackDown and put this baby to bed each week as I do for you guys. So what I'm going to tell you is, is to go ahead and crack open your favorite frosty beverage and strap in and get ready for this ride as I spew my venom and my hate and love for the world of professional wrestling. We're going to go ahead and get into our quick hits first this week. And our first one is Jerry Lawler rushed to the hospital after uh, suffering from a stroke on his own front lawn. He was found by a neighbor, and Jerry was rushed into the hospital. He was treated, and he is doing much better, but he does not have all of his abilities back yet, such as the ability to speak completely or other things. But doctors say that once they rehab him, and get him back to 100%, Jerry will be absolutely fine. Our prayers and good wishes and positive energy go out to Jerry, the King Waller, and his family, and I hope that the King makes a full recovery. Number two, the rumored 2023 Hall of Fame class will be as followed. Batista, the Great Muda, Umaga, Michelle McCool, the Midnight Express, and Cindy Lauper. Now, I actually like this list because I think it is a very well-rounded list with stars from almost every single time period in the WWE. You look at like someone like Cindy Lauper, who has been a part of the WWE since WrestleMania 1. You know what I mean? You look at the Midnight Express and the Great Muda. Those are the 1980s. And although Muda and the Express have never been in the WWE uh, in any way, we do know that they have had a positive input on the wrestling business. Then you look at someone like Michelle McCool, who was a part of the Divas in the late 90s and early 2000s of the WWE. Uh, then you look at Umaga, who was a part of the late, you know, early 2000s, 2010s of the WWE until he was he passed away. And then, of course, Batista, who is one of the bigger stars to come out of that 2002 class with John Cena, Randy Orton, and Brock Lesnar. I am on board for this list if it is the truth, and I hope that we get to see some great acceptance speeches from Muda, Batista, the Midnight Express, and whoever goes ahead and uh, accepts for Umaga, which it will probably end up being either Rakishi or the Usos, maybe even Solo Sokoa, you never know, but I think that we're in for a really big treat this year when it comes to the Hall of Fame. And finally, our third and final click quick hit this evening. Jay White finishes up with New Japan Pro Wrestling. 
And what I mean by that is Jay White lost a loser leaves New Japan matchup to uh, Hikaleo uh, in the last couple of days. And he is done with the company. Uh, he may go back somewhere down the line. You never can tell. Such as stars like the Good Brothers have. Uh, but apparently there has been a lot of talk between AEW, WWE, and Impact Wrestling where Jay has shown up before. And he may be signing with the WWE. Now I think that Jay would be a great, great addition to the WWE roster. Uh, he is a wonderful technician. He can do some high-flying work when he needs to. And he is unbelievable on the mic. You know, you pair that either with uh, Finn Balor and uh, the Judgment Day, or even let him go solo. Uh, you have him have matches with AJ Styles and Finn Balor, who have both been a part of the Bullet Club before in the past. You let him align or go at it with the Good Brothers. It adds so many elements. And if he starts off in NXT, which is probably where he's going to be for the first few months, I look at this as a great dynamic for him to show off his skills that he already has and even polish them a little bit before heading to the main roster. So with Jay White on his way to the WWE, which I assume if this is the truth and he is signing, we may see him after WrestleMania. Uh, I am interested to wonder who else from the New Japan uh, company is going to possibly come over to the United, the United States. Could it be the Gorillas of Destiny, the Sons of Haku? Um, could it be their baby brother, Hikaleo? Could we see Tanahashi maybe come over? <coughs> With the forbidden door completely open, ladies and gentlemen, you never can tell. But I will say this, big things are on the horizon, and I, for one, cannot wait to see who comes through that door once again. Moving over to the highlight reel, and before we do, I want to remind you to go ahead and check out all the great shows here on WrestleNet Radio, as produced by the one and only Nate Maxson. I want to thank Nate for this platform, for not only if you smell what the art is cooking, but my other podcast that I host with seven of my buddies, uh, the Nothing But Trouble podcast. Our new episode should be out already, and it is our video game episode. We are talking about everything that we've ever loved and new games that we like nowadays, so... Make sure that you tune into that. Tune into a slice of time in the year that was. Tune into uh, the Reliving the Extreme with Nate, Aaron, and Chad. Uh, and tune into Mark Cindy Spotlight and all of the un unbelievable podcasts right here on this network. Moving into the highlight reel. Going into Monday Night Raw, we have got Edge and Beth Phoenix opening promo. I thought that that was spectacular. I love their interaction with the Judgment Day, even though Rhea Ripley was not there as she is away on vacation, and is spending some time with her family in Australia. But I think that the interaction between Finn Balor and Edge, uh, I, it was unbelievable. I wish that Damien Priest could get a little better on the mic, but I mean, he's killing it when it comes to being in the ring. Uh, and I love that it made a match for Elimination Chamber of Finn Balor and Rhea Ripley taking on Edge and Beth Phoenix. And of course, the glam slam to Dominic at the ending, spectacular. Number two, Brock Lesnar and Bobby Lashley's promo. Uh, these two met in the ring after Brock uh, challenged Bobby Lashley. He left some people giggling when he said, even when I'm spending time uh, in bed with my wife, four or five laters, four or five year, hours later, I'm still thinking about Bobby Lashley. And as we all know, Brock is married to Sable, formerly of the Attitude Era. So it was just hysterical. But then on top of that, these two guys got in each other's faces. Brock delivered two F5s to the delight of the crowd. And you never know what's going to happen between these two. But I, I'm hoping 
that it does lead to a ma another match between them at the Elimination Chamber. Number three, Carmella, Piper Niven, Candice LeRae, and Mia Yim in a fatal four-way for the spot in the Women's Elimination Chamber match. It was won by the returning Carmella. She looked amazing in her new gear. All four women did a spectacular job in the ring, and I just thought it had a great cohesive chemistry to it that you don't see very often when four people, not just women, but four people are in the ring. Number four, JBL dumping uh, Baron Corbin, uh, and also in the background, the Hurt Business being reborn with MVP Shelton Benjamin and uh, Cedric Alexander. I did not like JBL coming back and being put with Corbin. I thought it was kind of silly. Uh, but it, and it really wasn't working. So seeing him finally write off Corbin and walk away was great. JBL off our screen, I'm okay with it. But it leads you to wonder, they have tried to push Corbin on so many levels, letting him win money in the bank, letting him win countless titles, giving him this manager, doing the happy Corbin thing. It just hasn't worked. So what now? You know what I mean? And then on the hurt business side of things, now you got to wonder, is Bobby Lashley involved? What about Omos? Could the Street Profits possibly get involved? There are a plethora of things that could happen because of the rebirth of the Hurt Business. Uh, number five, Cody Rhodes and Paul Heyman's promo. Uh, it, talk about emotional, talk about personal, and talk about what a great showing uh, between both of them. But Cody has been delivering solid promos for the last couple of years, even before he came back to the WWE. And Paul Heyman is Paul Heyman, so you have to say hats off to the both of them. Uh, number six, Montez Ford and Elias, what a great one-on-one -on -one matchup. They got over 15 minutes. They had a, a wonderful battle. Montez went over and is now going to join the Men's Elimination Chamber for the United States Championship. And I'd like to see Montez Ford actually come away with the win. Great tag team specialist, but I think it's time for him to branch out a bit. Number seven, Becky Lynch and Bailey inside the steel cage. These two women have had a great war of the world words. Uh, they've had a couple of matches already, but this steel cage, they let it all out, and both women battled to the death. And this leads to number eight, because at the ending of this match, and which reflected in the uh, Becky Lynch getting the win over Bailey and helping her with damage control, the return of WWE Hall of Famer Lita. Yes, Lita is back, and apparently there is uh, news that her and Becky Lynch are going to team up to take on damage control at the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view. There is even talk that if Dakota Kai is medically cleared to go into that match as well, then we could see Trish Stratus join the three of them. So, I mean, what a what a great thing for them to bring back uh, the women's uh, Hall of Famers like Lita and Trish. Lita looked fantastic. She delivered a couple of shots to both Dakota and, um, you know, um, Io Sky. And I, I can't wait to see her back in the ring. Moving on to SmackDown. The opening segment with Paul Heyman and Sami Zayn. Again, Paul Heyman delivering one of the best promos that he possibly can. Sami Zayn sneaking in through the back door, knowing that Roman Reigns wasn't there after he took him out last week. And, um, you know, he got a little personal with Heyman, and then he gave Heyman that godfather-like hug and let him know, tell Roman not to worry about Cody, because I'm going to be taking his title at Elimination Chamber. Now... Do I think that Sammy could beat Roman Reigns at the Elimination Chamber and become the undisputed World Heavyweight Universal Champion? I'm 50-50. I'll be honest. Because it would be a great storyline, just like we had with Daniel Bryan all those years ago. 
and, and that the underdog makes good and becomes the world heavyweight champion. But I think they're really looking to have Roman go into WrestleMania. So you never can tell. But Sammy is doing a fantastic job of selling it that he's going to win that belt. Number two, the, Oso, the Usos, excuse me, taking on Ricochet and Braun Strowman for the WWE Undisputed Tag Team titles. I honestly thought Ricochet and Strowman were going to win these uh, because of everything that's going on with Jimmy and Jay. But Jay showed up at the last minute during the ring announcing, even though he wasn't there all night. It made you really wonder if he was going to show up, but he did. And the Usos got the win after a great matchup, uh, and, and both teams just going all out, you know. Uh, and then number three, Jay Uso and Sami Zayn's backstage promo. Um, Sammy, of course, approaching Jay, thanking him for leaving the bloodline, telling him that he doesn't have to stick around in there and that they can do something to get the belt off of Roman. Jay actually telling, you know, Sammy just to leave, but then them giving each other a fist bump makes you wonder, could Jay Uso help Sami Zayn uh, possibly become the WWE Undisputed Universal Champion? Or could Jay Uso turn on Sami Zayn and stay with the bloodline? Leaves a lot to be wondering exactly what's going on there. And now on to AEW Rampage. The opening six-man tag between Kip Sabian, Butcher, and Blade and the Blackpool Combat Club of uh, Claudio Wheeler Yuta and uh, John Moxley. It was all over the place, but it had great action. It, it did a fantastic job storytelling immensely. And I, I liked how the way it ended. The Blackpool Club goes over, and uh, it really makes you see that they're still around. You know, Yuta is the pure champion, and uh, Claudio is the ROH champion. So, you know, them not being on TV that often kind of weakens that brand a little bit. But I guess Tony Khan is sticking to his guns when he says that he's not going to have any ROH belts on the TV anymore because Warner Media doesn't want it. Number two, Mark Briscoe's backstage promo. Now, he didn't say a whole lot, and he got in interrupted by Mark Sterling and Josh Woods and everything like that. But I'm just loving that they're allowing Mark Briscoe to be built on Dynamite and on Rampage after what happened to Jay Allowing Mark to now celebrate his brother and be on television is what it's all about. So I am very happy to see Mark Briscoe getting a push over there in AEW. And finally, number three, uh, Orange Cassidy and Lee Moriarty for the All-Atlantic Championship. What a 14-minute absolute great matchup. I, I enjoyed both men. I thought they told them a fantastic story. And Orange, again, getting the, matchup, the win in the matchup after battling back from some adversary was spectacular so i i have to say great storytelling by aew on rampage this week moving on into our show reviews and the first one is going to be nxt and uh, a highlight package for vengeance day opens this week's episode and then a graphic for bailey's talk show ding dong hello uh toxic attraction will be the guest and we are ready to go to the ring as Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams are in the ring and boasting about Hayes' win over Apollo Crews. J.D. McDowell interrupts and stops Carmelo from challenging for the NXT Championship. McDowell and Hayes exchange pleasantries, and then a match is made for them later on this evening. Carmelo and McDowell one-on-one? -on -one? Yes, please. Henley and James are discussing how they won the women's tag team titles and all their other issues. A surprise party is thrown backstage with Josh Briggs and Jensen wanting to celebrate the champs, which switched to exclusive footage of HBK suspending Grayson Waller after Vengeance Day and for one week. Isn't my, that isn't enough in my opinion, but so be it. 
Saul Roca and uh, Zoe Starkson had our first matchup. A uh, decent back-and-forth match, but quick. Starks used her heel style and kept Ruka down, but Ruka fought back. Ruka hit her impressive finisher and got the win in five minutes. I would like a little more out of them, like at least ten minutes, but so be it. A replay of Dabakato turning on Apollo Crews on Saturday, and the big man is on his way to the ring. Uh, we're back to the championship celebration party, and Pretty Deadly and Chase U face off about what happened on Saturday in that fatal four-way. We'll see both teams in a match later on tonight. Dabakato then took on Dante Chen in a two-minute squash match, with Dabakato looking impressive. This is how they should have built the man up on the main roster, in my opinion. But what do I know, right? I just host the podcast. Post-match, the new girl asks Kato why he turned on uh, Apollo Cruz after returning and helping him. And the big man says Cruz knows what he did. That's why he dropped his ass. Interesting. A quick re replay from last week where the Creed brothers got beat by Indosheer. And then we go into the trainer's room and the Creed brothers apologize to Ivy Nile and make game plan for their revenge. Uh, Isla Dawn and Alba Fire come in and accuse Tate and Paxley of attacking Nikita Lyons. What the heck is going on with all three of these storylines intersecting like that? It just doesn't make any sense. Mackenzie is with Roxanne Perez, and she's very happy about her title defense at Vengeance Day. Carter and Chance come in and throw some shade at the women's champion. They've got an attitude, so I guess they're heels now. And apparently Roxanne is going to find a partner and face them next week. Isla Dawn then took on Tatum Paxley, another microwave match tonight, but both women got in the ring and got in some good exchanges. Paxley has progressed since debuting, but Isla Dawn seems to have that it factor. Dawn got the win in three minutes, total of 10 minutes worth of in-ring action so far, but at least they're telling some good storylines in uh, the, you know, the rest of the time. Carmelo. Carmelo Hayes and uh, J.D. McDowell then finally got in the ring, and we got a good matchup that got time. Hayes and McDow had a great battle and some good chemistry in this one. McDow tried to use his, uh, get the upper hand, but Trick caused a little distraction. As JD tried to pick up the win, the music of Ila Dragunov came on and he returned. This second distraction allowed Hayes to pick up the win in 13 minutes. Very enjoyable matchup. Post-match, though, Dragunov went to attack McDow and he took off running. Backstage, Thea Hale approached Tiffany Stratton, and the two got into an argument. Ava Rain then came out of nowhere and abducted Thea Hale. Okay. Gigi is shown arriving to the arena and looks like she's ready for her convo with Bailey and JC Jane. We're back at the party, and Briggs and Jensen congratulate Fallon Henley on her win. Fallon tries to tell Jensen about what she thinks Kiana James has been up to, but stops herself when Kiana comes around. This is getting quite annoying, and I want the storyline to end, ladies and gentlemen. Lyra Valkyrie then takes on Valentina Faraz. The trend of quick matches continues, and thanks to a distraction from Electra Lopez, Valkyrie gets the win. I'm okay with this one being quick, though, because both women need seasoning. So I don't, I mean, don't keep them out there all night. But still, we're now only up to 26 minutes worth of action. We get a video of Wesley's video diary from Vengeance Day. Is this why the matches are being cut short? Mackenzie is now with Lee backstage, and Tony D and Stacks come in and rile up the North American champion. Lee says he'll have an open challenge next week and hopes one of them answer it. Odyssey Jones then takes on Stacks, and it looked like Jones would use his size to get an easy win, but Stacks used some heels tactics and got the upper hand. Jones couldn't seem to gain back momentum. Stacks hit his finisher and got the win in four minutes. Indosheer gets a vignette about 
their paths of destruction since getting back together and Jinder Mahal joining them. I think they'll get a tag title soon. Uh, it would make sense for them to get a run and then possibly get back into one, you know, tag team action with the Creed Bros. Roxanne Perez lets her know, lets us know that her tag team partner next week will, week will be none other than Miko Sadamura. Should be for, make for a good matchup if Carter and Chance don't botch. Chase U then took on Pretty Deadly. Both teams put up a great effort and showed some great tag team wrestling in this one. Hudson was taking it to Prince, but Pretty Deadly double teamed and took the advantage. Andre Chase tagged in and took it to both, but got distracted when Thea Hale came running out scared from backstage. Pretty Deadly picked up the win in 10 minutes, and I'm, again, happy we got a little more time, but I'm wondering what's going on with Avarine abducting Thea Hale and then her coming out running scared. Drew Gulak is hyping up Hank Walker for his match next week. Charlie Dempsey comes in and tells Walker it doesn't matter what he wears, but what he learned, and we'll find out if he's learned anything next week when they go one-on-one. -on -one. Bailey then welcomes us to her talk show and introduces Toxic Attraction, and they don't look too happy. The two begin to bicker about their triple threat matchup and place blame on who lost the match. JC goes personal and says that she's the star of the two. Bailey tries to make things better and seems to get through to them. It looks like that maybe they're heading to the main roster and will challenge damage control for the women's tag team titles. They hug it out and they make up, but oh, JC Jane pulls an HBK and super kicks Gigi. She throws Gigi through the door and then delivers a final kick to the head of Dolan. JC Jane has broken up toxic attraction, but I have to be honest here. I think that Gigi Dolan will have more success and be the Michaels of the two, and JC may end up being the genetic. But great ending to the show. A good show to follow up Vengeance Day, but I would have liked a little more entering action. I'll give it a 3.5, which that's been the norm for NXT the last six weeks, so I'm not really complaining. Good show, guys. Moving on to MLW Fusion. The debut episode of MLW on Reels opens up with Matt Stryker in the ring and introducing Jace, Jacob Fatu. Stryker asks Fatu when he'd use his guaranteed title rematch at, uh, against Hammerstone, and Fatu had an answer. At Super Fight in Philly, these two will lock up one more time. I cannot wait to see these two superstars battle it out for the title again, as it's been well over a year. Real One, a.k.a. Enzo Amore, interrupts and talks a bunch of trash about the Samoan dynasty. Fatu, too, tried to get to him, but security allowed him to, uh, you know, didn't allow him to get there. Real One got in the ring and uh, then just began talking more. After what seemed like forever, Mance Warner hit the ring, and these two agreed to a fight. Not a match, but a fight won by knockout. Mance Warner uh, beat Real One. Uh, in 30 seconds after delivering one shot to the draw. Uh, <laughs> so glad this happened to Real One. I got to be honest, I'm not even complaining about it being a quick matchup because Enzo has become annoying as fuck lately, and I, I'm just happy to hear someone shut him up. We shift the highlights of Hammerstone and the Dukas uh, soured relationship. They'll fight for the NML, MLW World Heavyweight title later on this evening. A video for Alex Kane and his crew is shown. And we find out that he's the one who stole the Opera Cup from Davy Richards. Kane comes to the ring and cuts a promo before his match and gets the fans riled up. He beats down a fan and then says tonight is a prize fight and will put up a stack of cash for anyone willing to fight him. So, Marvelous Joffer comes out to the ring 
to accept the challenge. Uh, we see a straight-up squash match from Alex Kane and multiple suplex to this youngster. Uh, the ref stops the match, and Kane is awarded the win. Never seen Kane before tonight, but damn, he's got some skills. Post-match, Kane says he's not done and calls it for another challenger. Well, it's answered by Davy Boy Smith Jr., and uh, he takes the fight to Kane's crew on the outside. The new Bulldogs, nephews of Dynamite Kid, come out to help take the fight to Kane and company, and the crowd is into it. I'm interested to see where this is going. Real One isn't happy about earlier tonight and demands a rematch. Next week, it'll be Real One and Mance Warner in a street fight. Naduko is backstage and cuts a promo about Fatu and Hammerstone. He says tonight he changes things in MLW. Madge Kruger is shown laid out, and no one knows who done it. Hammerstone is ready to cut his promo and says that he let Naduko cut the line, but only so he can prove why he's been the champion and a fighting champion for the last 494 days during his title reign, which in my opinion is very impressive considering the talent that is in MLW. Then we go to the ring for our main event. It's Hammerstone and Naduku. This is the last man standing matchup. And the bigger Naduku knocks the champ down and stunned the crowd in the first few minutes. Uh, but Hammerstone fought back. These two threw everything they could at one another and had a brawl, knockdown, drag out inside and outside of the ring. Chairs, tables, doors, chains, and other weapons played into this fight. And Naduku tried to get the win any way possible. Hammerstone wouldn't allow it and finally hit his finisher. He covered his opponent with multiple chairs and pieces of a door, which allowed the referee to reach the 10 count, and Hammerstone gets the win. Absolute great matchup. 25 minutes in the main event here. Very well done by MLW. Post-match, Jacob Fatu came out for a stare down with Hammer, and the show went off the air. Really good debut episode for MLW tonight. I did enjoy it. I'm giving it a 4 out of 5. Can't wait to see more from one of my favorite unseen companies. Really, really good job uh, for everything that went down. You know, only having an hour of TV, they did very well with it. And now we move on to AEW Dynamite. Show opens and we go going straight to the ring for our first matchup. It's MJF taking on uh, Takeshita. Absolute banger of an opening match with Takeshita and MJF pulling out all the stops. Takeshita took it to the world champion with everything he had inside and outside of the ring. MJF finally took control and caught Takeshita off guard. Max did everything he could and took advantage of with his experience over his opponent and finally hit his finisher and got the win in 13 minutes. Post-match, MJF continued to beat down Takeshita with the Dynamite Diamond Ring and busted him over. Uh, Brian Danielson came out and made the save, running Max off. We'll see Danielson... Later on tonight in his matchup with Rush, uh, Samoa Joe cut a promo about regaining the TNT title, beating Darby Allen, and about Wardlow's return. I can't wait to see Joe and Wardlow go one-on-one. -on -one. The Bunny then took on Jamie Hayter. This was good, but not as great as the clash in, in, in styles really didn't mesh well here. Uh, you know, Bunny is, is usually better in the ring, but wasn't at her best in this outing. Hater has been on a roll and putting in great showings no matter who she's in the ring with. Jamie Hater hit her finisher and got the win in eight minutes. Again, this was good, but I but it could have done wanted to be a little bit better. Renee is with Soraya and Tony Storm backstage. They're doing their best mean girls impression they can, but this is terrible. They beat down and spray paint Leva Bates, 
and say they aren't there to make friends. Well, they must not apparently be there to impress the fans either because the fans were dead silent during this whole segment. Lexi is with MJF and trying to find out what happened against Takashita. MJF proceeds to cut one of the best promos I've heard in maybe three years, ladies and gentlemen. But it's Max. You know he's going to deliver. He spins a story about his past and his girlfriend and what he's willing just to do to survive. And unbelievable. I can't even go big into detail about this, ladies and gentlemen. You have to watch it if you haven't. Uh, the Jericho Appreciation Society, dumbest name ever, send out Daddy Magic and Cool Hand for their gauntlet match. Ricky Starks taking on the JSA in a gauntlet Starks went through Cool Hand and Douchebag or Daddy Magic or whatever first. Quick ending to a two-on-one handicap match, and then came out Guevara and Garcia. But who's going to take on Starks next? It ends up being Garcia. He and Starks had a great matchup. A max wrestler made his way to the ring uh, and hit a Judas effect on Starks, which allowed Garcia to pick up the win and shut down the rest of the gauntlet match. Like, we don't know who that mask wrestler was. Post-match, the masked man unmasked it to reveal... Chris Jericho, dun-dun-dun. Moving on, Renee is with the acclaimed, and Billy Gunn, Daddy Ash, says that he's staying backstage and will not be getting involved tonight. The acclaimed say they respect the decision and will get the job done against the Gum Club. Renee is now backstage with Brian Anderson while Takeshita gets wrapped up by the doctor. Before Brian can answer her question, someone slams the door and locks them all inside. Oh no, how will he make it to the match? Inside the ring, Rush and MJF make their way to the ring, and MJF tries to get the referee, Aubrey, to start the match and count Brian out. Danison breaks down the door of the room. Takashita takes out Jose and Preston, who were by the door, and Danielson makes it to the ring. Damn, maybe this was interesting, actually. Danielson takes on Rush. This was an absolute incredible one-on-one -on -one matchup. Danielson and Rush fought hard and beat the hell out of one another. Danielson got busted open, and Rush worked over his arm throughout the match. Rush tried to get the win, but Danielson fought back and pushed through. Danielson finally hit his finisher and picked up the win in the 17-minute mark to get a huge win and secure his title shot against MJF. Post-match, though, MJF hit the ring, attacked Danielson, and worked over his arm until the officials broke him off. Wow. Just wow. Tony is backstage with the Impractical Jokers, and the guys have his have Chris Jericho's baseball bat. This was all done to promote their new season of their show, which is happening in a couple of days. Wow, okay. Uh, the Elite then take on the top flight and AR Fox. Good trios match here. A lot of action all around the ring. Dante and Darius Martin have become one of my favorite tag teams, and their tandem offense has been great. The Bucks continue to innovate and change things up since their return. Omega and Fox went move for move. Very good action between these two. After some great back and forth, Omega took out Fox and got the win for his team in 15 minutes. Then we go backstage where Stokely Hathaway is with Lexi and talking about the problems inside the firm. Hook walks up and almost breaks his arm for no damn reason, but I'm for it. Uh, Excalibur runs down Rampage and tells us that the main event is coming up tonight next. And the Acclaimed are ready to take on the Gun Club. Decent main event, but it was mainly because of the Acclaimed. Bowens used his power and quickness. Caster put together some nice offense. The guns relied on heel tactics and even tried to use the belt to take out Bowens. But Billy Gunn made the save. This shocked me, but what shocked me even more is that they took out their own father with a belt shot. The guns got the win at the 15-minute mark and got an upset victory. Your winners and new AEW Tag Team Champions, 
the gun club. Pretty big shock there, considering how well the claims have been doing. Good episode this week. Definitely more in-ring action and some good storytelling. Giving AEW Dynamite a 4 out of 5 because the Soraya BS and the JSA stuff was unneeded, in my opinion. Save that for Rampage. You know what I mean? You got an hour to kill on that show? Save it on there. But that's fine and well. So, a really jam-packed week of wrestling and nothing really going on, ladies and gentlemen, that grinds my gears. So, we're going to omit that from the um, show this week. Uh, I will be back next week, and we will be doing um, quick hits as usual. Uh, the highlight reel will have Raw, NXT, AEW, SmackDown on it, MLW, and Rampage as well. And the reason for that is because next week is the Elimination Chamber. So I will be giving you a full Elimination Chamber rundown of what went on on that evening during that premium live event next Saturday. So I want to thank you guys for joining me. Again, continue to support WrestleNet Radio and all the great podcasts on that network. And I will see you next time on If You Smell What the Arch Is Cooking. <laughs>